Hey everyone, this is Katie letting you know that we're sharing this week's Dead Cat episode a few days earlier than usual. It's an interview that Tom and I did on Friday with Ben Smith of the New York Times. About three hours after we finished recording, Aussie Media, the company that we discussed at length, announced that it was shutting down following a series of stories kicked off by Ben's great reporting. So when we talk about things like the future of Aussie, that future was about to be announced not long after we ended the interview. Without further ado, here's the show. here with Ben Smith, uh, my esteemed New York Times colleague. He used to run the BuzzFeed newsroom. He's come here to be a media columnist. He has broken news as a columnist and, uh, over the past couple of years, but probably no story that's been bigger in the world of people who care about media, our extremely tiny niche, than the story that he wrote uh, earlier this week on Aussie, a media company that most people have probably not heard of, that's run by an extraordinarily charismatic man named Carlos Watson. And he had an extremely, uh, I would say, dramatic tale of how Aussie, in the midst of raising its money, had one of its executives pretend to be an executive at YouTube in order to fool bankers at Goldman Sachs into giving the company $40 million. It does sound a lot like securities fraud to me. I'm just sitting over here as somebody who covers the Justice Department. Uh, it, do, it does have that ring, which is probably why uh, the federal government is now investigating Aussie. And Ben is here with us today to talk about this story, to talk about what it means for startup uh, media startups, which used to be incredibly hot and now are looking less so, and sort of anything else that's on his mind. Ben, thank you for being with us. Well, thank, thank, thank you all for uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, I actually, it's funny. I really thought the Aussie story would be something that only people in our tiny corner of the universe had any <laughs> yeah. interest in, which did not not turn out to be the case. Well, what's been so interesting about Aussie is I covered that space. I probably wrote, you know, as much about that whole industry as anyone, like kind of the digital media companies that all took off around the same time. Aussie was always a bit of an outlier to me. I, I would hardly think about them in that group. Um, you know, to me, it was always the company that was largely, in my mind, that's probably not true, but largely funded by Lorene Powell Jobs's uh, you know, investment vehicle, Emerson Collective. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, Ben, you were at BuzzFeed for a long time and kind of came up with that class of companies. Like what, what was Aussie to you? Like how did it kind of live in your mind as, as one of the members of the cohort? Um, I mean, I think it was always mostly kind of puzzling. Like you just knew that no one was reading it, obviously. And in 2017, we did a story about how they had, or how, it was a the agency was not totally clear who had done it, but a lot of fake traffic was being delivered to Aussie advertisers, um, and which kind of made sense because they had no real traffic, but they had a lot of advertisers, and they just had no. Right. You couldn't. They didn't have an audience, and then when you said it seems like you don't have an audience, they'd be like, "Well, our audience are outsiders, not assholes like you." It's like you know, fair. Um, and then Carlos is this incredibly um, sort of always on deal maker kind of charming, garrulous guy who knows everybody and sometimes, you know, be fun to talk to about what was going on in the industry. 
Yeah, how would you describe Carlos? I mean, but this is something that's only now emerging in the subsequent stories that have come out since you wrote your first column. What is he like as a person when you speak? When you would speak with him, what, what was he like? I mean, a very you know. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, like I, I'm not sure I want to speak for myself because I think different people have different impressions of him. But I think a lot, some people thought he was this incredibly charismatic, brilliant figure. Some people thought he was a great sales guy. Some people felt like he was a sales guy who like was trying a little too hard. I would say those were the three impressions. It seemed like the business with Ozzy, because, right, no one would ever send Ozzy articles. I don't think in my entire time covering that space I wrote one about them or ever read an article about them. But it seemed like their kind of flagship business was this conference that they did, the Ozzy Fest, right? And they would get really big names, um, people like Hillary Clinton or... Uh, you know, high level, uh, I, I don't know, executives or people, mm-hmm. politicians would show up at this thing. I mean, in, in one sense, I imagine his charisma and his, um, you know, ability to build an image of what Ozzy is um, probably helped get those people to come, right? Like that's that's a fairly fair trade of, you know, pr- prestige and image for appearance, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that his relationship with Lorraine Powell Jobs was this incredibly validating thing and that he, um, you know, it's not that he sort of egregiously traded on it any more than anybody else in that industry trades on things, but um, but the fact that she was his investor, she and Ron Conway and Larry Sincini, who were three, if you're, if it's 2013 in Silicon Valley, those were like the three investors you would most want, were his three sort of startup investors, was incredibly validating. And I think also think people wanted to get any, you know, she has, she, she represents just this massive pile of money to people. And so I think there was like a, well, if he's close to, to Laureen, no harm doing him a favor. And, you know, I do think there's an element of, in which, like, right now, everything is sort of the politics of royal courts of billionaires. And, like, half the sort of talented people of my generation I know, one way or the other, just sort of work for billionaires and are constantly worried about their position relative to other courtiers in their courts. And, like, I think that's sort of also part of this. He, he, rep- he was sort of one part of this extended royal jobs court and so people were who were looking to get to her saw him as potentially a way for that although and i think he didn't he benefited from that although i don't think he at least in the early days overly represented himself as that i think they are real friends Mm-hmm. So were you surprised at all by her response to the story, the statement that she gave? I I read it as her distancing herself from him. Maybe I've misread that, but it did not. It certainly wasn't a, a statement of support. I mean, it was certainly Andrew Cuomo distancing. I mean, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> certainly Emerson distancing itself. Um, I, I don't know if it was, um, I don't think, I, I mean, I, the way I read it, it was Emerson distancing itself, but I think almost very much not Lorraine distancing herself. I love this idea of media becoming, especially startup media, becoming a game of which billionaire, um, which benefactor, which wealthy benefactor can you find? Yeah. Um, some sort of Medici era type game of, you know, which random rich person will give you money and legitimacy. Yeah. Well, I think you definitely see that impulse coming from the billionaires. I mean, something like uh, a Mark Benioff buying Time Magazine. There's no business value for him. I mean, I don't even know what Time Magazine is at any point. But I think, you know, post Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, buying the Washington Post and doing a pretty good job with that. Uh, and then, you know, Loreen Powell Jobs buying The Atlantic. Um, yeah, I guess like the flip side of that would be what's his name, the Facebook billionaire who bought the New Republic and, like, did horribly. 
owning that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just imagine like with the great accrual of wealth and billionaires' status in this country, they feel some obligation to help these kind of, especially legacy media companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Aussie thing feels a little different because it's like they're tapping into the next thing, right? It, it was part of this whole yeah. class of companies like Mike and, and, and Fusion. Well, you know, I think the thing is there were, there, I think that there were, you know, there were a handful of companies that had built real audiences and were making sort of real connections with people. And I would say that Vox was, BuzzFeed was, and just were, re- you know, and then a bunch of like, you know, Upworthy had a big real audience for a while, sort of bottom of the internet places like Nine Gag really did. Um, mm-hmm. And then there were other companies that raised money saying, we're going to be like those companies. But, um, but they didn't actually you know, right. ever build the audience, but they were telling us, you know, but they thought they were, I don't think, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Ozzy launched imagining that it wasn't gonna, uh, you know, it launched as a scam or anything like that. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting the like fake it till you make it tech mentality, mm-hmm. you know, when it, when it goes wrong, because like at the same time, we've got the Elizabeth Holmes trial mm-hmm. happening at the moment. And a lot of people are making the same comparison between, you know, what you wrote about with Ozzy and Elizabeth Holmes, which, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if we are talking about federal investigations, it's not that crazy of a comparison. But I think the hope is like, if you can string people along with your hope of what this could be, then eventually the complicated shit will work itself out. And to a degree, I mean, like with Theranos, that seems insane, like much more insane. Because you're talking really? about Really? I actually think like... You think this is more? Because I think you can do it with media. You know, like, what's the, like what is traffic, right? It's just whatever Comscore says. I mean, they're all made up numbers. Uh, you know, I, I guess agree. I don't. Maybe maybe that's true, been true where you worked, but that's that has not been my experience. Like I think you know, you're right. You business insider right now is like trying to convert people, real people, to pay for the stuff, and and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe I'm a little prickly about this because when we were at BuzzFeed, people would often say things like, "Well, aren't you just buying all this traffic from Facebook?" And it was like, "Wait, are you crazy? Of course we're not. Like it's really hard. We're trying to reach people." Um, right. And. Um, but but here, here's my point. And, and that, I think though. with Ther- like, and the other things, ahead. I think with Theranos, you know what? At some point, like somebody will invent something where you can have somewhat less blood in the vial, and and still be able to get a diagnosis of you know various conditions from that blood. It wasn't a crazy idea that you did that, like going to a Quest Labs and having them like extract a gallon of blood from your arm after you wait for forty five minutes wasn't necessarily going to be the future. And I think they probably went in thinking that they were going to solve it. And you can actually imagine a scenario, right, where like six months before Carrie Rue calls, they're like acquired by Walmart and Walmart takes that team and then somebody on that team actually figures that out, right? Like I don't think, I think that most of these con, well, I, don't, I don't want to call any of these people con men, it's all kind of alleged, but I think usually they're also deceiving themselves. Mm. So do you think that, do you think that what happened with Ozzy, you know, based on your reporting, do you think what happened with Ozzy is something that ha- that feels applicable to you to the larger sort of startup media space where, but for the grace of God, we could have all been there? Or do you think that there is something particular about Carlos and particular about this company clearly impersonating a YouTube executive is far more extreme than I think what most people would be willing to do. And I but think you- what they were doing with their traffic was also, like the Carlos Watson show didn't have an organic audience. It was all arbitrage right. where they were selling at premium rate ads and then taking a lot of that money and buying buying YouTube pre-roll for the show. I mean, it was just all paid. There was no very little organic. So, 
I mean, some of it was sort of, well, maybe it's all the stuff is on a spectrum and this is way down the spectrum, but it's like way down the spectrum. It's an order of magnitude more deceptive, I think, than what most media companies were doing. I mean, I do think if you look at how Vice talked, it used to talk about its traffic, there's an example of a website that did not have very much traffic that pretended to have a lot of traffic that's not totally dissimilar. That's the only analogy I can really think of. And the thing is, right, like so much of kind of the real money in this business is in television. And the notion that you build a brand, real or fake, on the internet and then flip it into TV makes a certain amount of sense. And maybe actually it's easier if it's fake because it's not so messy. You don't have to like interact with reality. Right, but that's that's the fake it till you make it mentality, right? It's like if you can convince enough people that you have a brand, that you have an audience, eventually someone with real money and someone who can put it in front of an actual audience mm-hmm. will, you know, will bite, and then mm-hmm. you've sort of done it, right? Then you flipped it. I mean, like Vice is such a great example because they are trying to be more of a television company, and mm-hmm. they have a cable network, which is insane for uh, you know a brand that's aimed at millennials that most don't pay for cable. But they're making a you know money from that. Like that, but there's they can't exit. There. I mean, if you look, compare BuzzFeed right. and Vice, one looks like it's going to exit and deliver for investors, and one looks like it's not going to. And so, you know, to to Ben's point, is that you can fake it till you make it until ultimately you have to deliver. And what Aussie's been doing and trying to raise money, it looks like, is simply trying to find a way to have some sort of logical exit and buying time until that moment. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, like Ben or Tom, you guys. I never covered media. Um, you know, do you feel like it's it's the exit that's the hard stop where you can no longer pretend? I mean, in this case, it wasn't that. It was the it was fraud. the alleged securities fraud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is also um, a time to stop. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I well, mean, I think I do, that's, yeah, that was. I, I don't know. I mean, I do think. Yeah, and I, I I don't know. I think these like I think there are lots of great businesses that did really good stuff and didn't get the quote unquote exit, and lots of garbage companies that sold for a lot. I realize like Silicon Valley, the founders are all focused on their exits, like particularly the bad ones, actually, um, I think. But yeah, no, I actually, I think if you look back, like at all the media companies that big media companies acquired, most of them no longer exist in any form. And so I don't think, I don't think that the sort of notion that they sold is a validation that they were realer or faker than anything else. I mean, it depends how you're looking at it and from whose perspective. Um, you know, if you were able to exit your, you know, and, and get some payback on your shares. But, but I mean, back to Aussie specifically, what, what I what I liked so much about your story was that you have this incredible anecdote about the, you know, impersonation of a YouTube executive um, that obviously, you know, was was what got it so much attention. But the the large portion of your story is just pointing out things that anyone who had followed this company and was aware of how the media industry works would have thought and would have suggested, which is like when they're claiming they have 25 million uniques, that's more than most companies that have way more brand recognition have. Yeah. When they're claiming they have tens of millions of emails on their list, compare that to Morning Brew, uh, which right. is one of the most popular daily newsletters, they have 3 million. And you know, there's no, you don't need to get you know, deep internal files to to determine this it's just basic common sense and i think that's what people forget so often in the media world is that you can make these claims but anyone with a modicum of understanding would know what smells bad yeah yeah no i think that's right right and and and, you know anyone with a modicum of understanding much less all the richest and brilliant most brilliant people in the world which perhaps suggests that they are not the geniuses that they purport to be money doesn't confer intelligence attention (laughs) 
so you, I mean, by the way, uh, I don't know how much you got into it in your story, but do you think if this particular, you know, Scooby-Doo moment uh, with uh, Alex Piper at YouTube hadn't happened, it hadn't, you know, been, you know, spoiled by the rotten kids, um, that Goldman would have invested? I mean, is there a world in which they're able to get through that moment and the $40 million they were expecting to get from Goldman actually goes through and they could kind of continue this, this escapade? Well, you know, they did, they did raise a round. It just didn't come from Goldman. Do you think that's imperiled now? I mean, you implied in your story that it was going to happen, but like everyone, no, no, it's rats from a ship. It the happened. Okay, so they did raise the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you were an investor who bought in, and, and if, and again, I'm not, I'm sort of reporting on all this, and I'm not sure exactly what's the case, and if the company did not inform you that they were being investigated by the FBI for alleged securities fraud, that might be a kind of material issue that would trigger you to yeah. potentially file a, law, file a lawsuit or something like that. Like you would or to at least get your money back. That. Yeah, you would certainly want your money back. And you if probably could get it. the company it because, blows yeah. up over something that they totally knew about and should have told you. I don't know, Katie, what do you think? Will they get it back? I think that oftentimes there's, like, a, to your point, some sort of material change in the company. Being under investigation, knowing it, not disclosing it, could fall under that. And depending on how the money is distributed, some people, you know, they say they're going to invest, but they haven't wired the money over yet. They could put a stop to it. They could try to claw money back. What's so interesting, too, is I think this calls into question how much money is really left inside of the company. And if the company were to collapse, who would get money back? back and how much i mean i it's not clear from the stories but i'm not sure if do you have any reporting to that would suggest to you how money's being used i thought that your follow-up story on brad bussey was really interesting because it was such a high expense production they were putting on yes, supposedly for a and e so that's like so 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 expensive like the money they were burning was so intense all again towards something that wasn't true right Carlos Watson had told people it was for A&E, it was never for A&E, and then you have an executive actually telling people, this is not only building your company on, like, sand, it's, it's incredibly bad in all these other ways. So, you know, you know, two questions. You have reporting on, you know, how much money remains at the company given, given the high burn rate, and then two, yeah. the Brad Bessie incident is fascinating. Did you get a sense from Bessie after he confronts the founders? It seems maybe he was confounded by their response that it was no big deal. You know, do you have more insight on that? I yeah, that they bizarre. just kind of kept moving forward and we're going to make it work and he, you know, quit. And did other employees contact him? I mean, he was so open about it that they were all being lied to. Did he, was there an exodus that followed him? The thing is, you know, television production is just so much work, and they were like, the one thing about Ozzy is, and kind of crazy, is that even while they were misleading people, they were also producing really expensive to produce technically high-quality content. So if you're like the post-production supervisor, I mean, you're just, you're, you are in fact putting out a show all the time, and it's COVID, and you're employed, and the checks are clearing, and so I think all those people were like, ah, this is insane, but I'm getting paid, basically. And do you think the checks are going to continue to clear? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think the question of, you know, it's not even clear that the company really has a board. The, um, it was a small <laughs> board. Mark Lassery it's just Mark Lazary. Um, <laughs> who was on the board was of the Weinstein Company. On the board who they were still representing as a board member who yeah. quit. And they say Lorene is a board member. No, Lorene is no longer a board member. She, she's listed as one. Interesting. And... Um, 
And so I think the only remaining board members as of this recording are Carlos and Michael Moe from GSV. But, um, and Mo isn't returning my calls, but I, it's just not clear. I don't know what happens now. It seems like it'll involve a lot of lawyers. I thought Mark Lazary's statement was so interesting that he didn't have a lot of experience with investigations and controversy, so he wasn't really the right person. But he was on the board of the Weinstein Company <laughs> during the very months when Jody Cantor and, um, you know, all these other reporters yeah, were calling him oh, and all the other He's familiar with crisis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, no familiarity yeah, that, with crisis. I'm going to go steal that and tweet it because that's insane. <laughs> you know, when you first reached out to the board and said, I'm writing this story, and it was clear that they knew what had happened in February, in the year of our Lord, 2021, was it weird to you that there had not been an internal investigation, that they seemed so sanguine about this incredibly You know, last we spoke for the board, and I thought it was totally bizarre, and I think the, yeah, I mean, I, it really seems strange to me that anybody I talked to about it that you wouldn't, I mean, really just to cover yourself as a board. I mean, that's, I mean, ultimately a lot of the way that these corporate actors act is to protect themselves, and actually kind of shocking they wouldn't investigate, and to protect themselves from other investors, among other things. Like, I just, yeah, it seems really strange. Rolling back a little bit on this, I mean, as someone who worked in, you know, in the digital media sphere, you know, like I mentioned, like the, the cohort in which, you know, Ozzy came from, what was it that drew you to wanting to write about them? I mean, I, I'm imagining you'd heard about the Alex Piper incident, and that's just such a juicy story, you've got to confirm it. But was it one thing about, like, can I track this one anecdote down? Or is it like, yeah, what is the deal with Ozzy? Because yeah, so that's me as I'm a very tip-driven reporter, to be totally honest. Okay. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, like I sort of know what Ozzy is and sort of always was like, I mean, you're not going to write a story that's like this company you've never really heard of isn't exactly what it seems. Like, who cares? Um, well, especially if you don't care about the company. <laughs> exactly. Nobody cares about the company because right. it doesn't have any real audience. So, like, who am I writing right. for? Um, so I, that's why I wouldn't really have thought about writing about Ozzy. But that, I mean, that Goldman thing is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. So it made, and, and once I was able to track that down, I sort of was like, well, so what, what's happening here? Yeah, What's impersonating another person in order to get $40 million, if it happened, is definitely... It's, it's just, it's just such literal security. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's such literal fraud. But so. also, like, so ham-fisted and so insane. Yeah. You know, I spoke with somebody... They're just, like, kind of dupe Goldman. And, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I'm sure you've had these conversations, too. I spoke with somebody who... I mean, I used to cover Wall Street, so, you know, who was like, yes, spoken to one of the people on the call, and they knew from the minute they got the Gmail address that something was weird, and then the minute they heard the voice, they were like, what the F? So, I, yeah. like, who who in their right minds thinks, I can, I can do this, I can get away with this? That's the other thing. Well, you thing. said it with well, right minds, been, you know, right? The thing is, they had been telling all these stories, particularly about their relationship with YouTube, and then Goldman says, we want to talk to you too. And right. so I think, I don't think, it, so I think they were in a bit of a corner. You feel like it was the first time somebody had actually said, like, ch- check to their work. I have no idea if it was the first time they did, that they did something like this or not. They say it was. But I do think the reality is they had talked up this relationship that they didn't really have. And so suddenly they're very close, very close, I think, or they think they're very close on this investment. There's some last questions from Goldman. Goldman emails and says, hey, we'd like to talk to YouTube and maybe another of your partners, one of these other guys. 
and suddenly it's like, uh oh. Right. What do we do? Think, damn it, think. What do we do? I don't know. I mean, I, I think like, you know, these things. You, you can sort of. I, I guess I sort of think that it's pretty relatable that you, for people, that you tell some little lie and get it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think that's kind of what happened here. Sure. But there's also the story that people want to believe I mean, that got Ozzy to, to this point. Just to be clear, I've never done anything like that. <laughs> You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, typically, you know, if it crosses your mind, you 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 know, you cross it out. You know, like the first year, you're like, well, we could pretend to be Alex Piper, and then you move on. Um, but like back to like you know the nature of the scam. Mm-hmm. I think the reason you know, and Aussie itself, the reason that it had so much purchase with investors is because I think a lot of them wanted to believe it. You know, if you look at Elizabeth Holmes and and the mark that she had when she was able to raise money, she would get this money from older men who uh, wanted to feel like they were backing a female entrepreneur and and maybe they felt like they were a father figure to her um, maybe I'm being very generous with this but it, it was a way to like I would say but maybe it, it, you're being it, it, un- I, would, I would say maybe you're being ungenerous and like they were rooting for a woman-owned startup because there aren't a lot of those right no no I, I sorry I, I when I say generous I mean there are actual feelings yeah no, I know. But, no but, but I'm saying like there's yeah I mean I think good these things always sort of hold up a mirror to society in a certain way. Right. It was fascinating that you had two people talk about wanting to work with Ozzy because they felt this sort of social awakening after the death of George Floyd. Or they felt this social awakening around race in America, they want to be part of it, and they felt that Carlos presented them this way. Yeah, and and he represented that to them. He was like an easy answer to them. It's like they felt guilt over the fact there aren't that many minority-led media companies out there. And here was someone willing to fill that particular niche for them in a way that it's just a very effective pitch to a certain type of person. Um, and it allows them to probably look the other way when any other situation would have been like, yeah, I don't think these numbers really add up. Yeah. I mean, d- d- does that make sense to you at all? Or no, totally. I, I mean, I think the, the president of the Ford Foundation said it to me directly that they were so excited to invest in a I mean, I found it sort of depressing, honestly, the way he put it, which is that this company showed that a black-led company is like gonna like will certainly be great, and it's like, well, actually, a lot are like there are a lot of great black media entrepreneurs, but you sort of didn't bother checking whether this was one of them. I mean, it's and and I do think it's also, you know, Carlos's politics were very unthreatening. He's sort of you know his sort of basic point of view on the world is that. Like, if only Republicans, Democrats could talk more and have more nuanced conversations, that everything would be better. And that's like a, and, you know, and like, it's a very Silicon Valley investor friendly point of view on the world. It's not, we need to shut down Facebook and take all your money, right? (laughs) Um, So... Yeah. Well, <laughs> that would be quite a media company. So yeah. I guess my last questions here would be like, I mean, the Aussie story, because it is so crazy and involves such, you know, outlandish feats and acts, is there anything really we can learn from it? You, you know, I mean, sometimes you know, something is, is so is the extreme. Column, honestly, like this is the column I got to write. So I don't know. Stay tuned. If you have any ideas, okay. what do you think? Yeah, done in uh, YouTube exacts. I put that right up at the top. Yeah, or do a better job at it. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess you'd have to start drawing conclusions on that whole class of, you know, digital media companies that came from that era. And like BuzzFeed has clearly proved itself, at least to a point. Yeah, that you know, people keep be- saying that to me, and as somebody who really grew up in that, I really don't think that's true at all. Which part like, do you I think, think is not true? Like I think a lot. Most of the I think you know, most of those companies were real. 
Some succeeded on the merits, some crashed and burned on the merits. This was a really unusual situation. Um, I also think that people who sort of blame digital media forget how scammy the media business has always been. Like when it's I was the perfect New York scam. Sun, a great print newspaper, I, I believe one of our marketing executives was charged for telling advertisers that we were printing a gazillion papers and we were in fact not, and that we were dumping the extras in empty lots. So, you know, the, ad- I mean, the, I think the advertising industry has always been always. Yeah. yeah, and circulation fraud is a very old, it's real. frequent I worked crime. at Time Inc. But, <laughs> but it's, it's the perfect fraud because usually, unless you're fleecing Goldman Sachs uh, and, and investors, the victims are advertisers. How much do they really care? You know, like they're willing yeah. to believe a lot of things when it comes to ROI or, or traffic or the effectiveness of ads. So like there's sort of like a tacit agreement on the part of some media companies, advertisers to say like, hey, the numbers say what they say. Maybe it helped increase sales. Maybe it didn't. But you got to spend the money somewhere. And the, well, and also there's a bit of a conspiracy to cover this stuff up because the agencies don't who often are the ones who were supposed to have their eyes on the on the wheel didn't. And they don't want to tell the advertisers they screwed up. So often if, if an agency discovers that they've been scammed, they will maybe they'll make it right or they'll move the money somewhere else, but they're not going to go to the CMO and say, hey, by the way, you hired us to spend your money effectively and we're morons. Yeah. So maybe this is just a case where it's just, you know, the ending of burn after reading. Like it's just J.K. Simmons saying like, well, I guess what we learned is to never do it all again. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Because I don't know. I don't know. Well, we will be looking for your next column. Thank you for coming on. We know you're busy. You're drowning. So we appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It's nice to see you guys. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Ben. <laughs> Bye. I think that Ben definitely, I mean, clearly he has a view on Ozzy. He wasn't. He wasn't um, withholding of it, um, but I did think it was interesting how, you know, he he wants to separate Ozzy from the rest of kind of this like online news startup world, and I'm wondering if he's right to do that. Like, I don't actually, I, having not covered the media myself, I don't have like um, inf- an informed opinion. But what do you think of that? I I think I think it is an interesting comparison because he's right buzzfeed is a real business they have made hundreds of millions of dollars they have a diversified revenue stream their financials are all out there like they have a very plausible spac that they're putting together Um, but i also think that to say that there is a world of difference between you know it's like ozzy could have been in the buzzfeed mold if it had gone a slightly different direction you know you can convince enough advertisers you can convince enough decent reporters to work for you you can convince enough celebrities to do appearances at your conferences that you build a real business i mean like that's the make it part of the fake it till you make it you know you don't have to just keep faking it until everybody you know just agrees to make you too big to fail like you can at some point turn it into a legitimate business and so uh, you know, maybe there is something rotten at the core of Ozzy that made it so it was inevitable that it was going to end up this way. Or at some point, you kind of like wake up and say, all right, we have these connections with, you know, Hillary Clinton and Steven Pinker. I don't know who else, you know, shows up at their conferences. And we have advertisers coming to us 
saying we can uh, reach an audience that's hard to reach and in a cool, informed, uh, um, you know, politically active way. And let's hire, and they did hire, you know, legitimate reporters from BBC Mm -hmm. and and other outlets to do things. And at some point you kind of make the turn, you know, you, 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 you turn straight and you build a real business. And I, my guess is that maybe is what Ozzy was expecting. It's like, if we just get this Goldman money, yeah, we, we, we will have pretended to be Alex Piper. I mean, it reminds me so much of Bernie Madoff in so many ways. Right. Obviously it didn't spiral out of control like that and result in like the loss of fortunes for countless people. But just that idea, you know, that, that, that Madoff at first just it wasn't his intent to run a Ponzi right. scheme. He, he really did think he could put the money back in until it just yeah. kind of spiraled out of control. Yeah. And it's, you know, it was funny, Ben, making the comparison of like, I really thought Elizabeth Holmes, she may have just sold this whole thing to, to Walmart. And then no one would have thought that. And it's, it's like, true. well, you still you still built a fraudulent company. You still know, had like, a technology. At, I mean, this is a little different, but remember Jet.com? Mm hmm how that was going to crash and burn. There were so many predictive articles about how Jet.com made no sense and it was so ridiculous and like this thing that economics didn't work. They were never going to be Amazon. What a waste of time. What a waste of investor money. And then they sold to Walmart. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and Mark Laurie had a you know very important role at Walmart, still, still does. Still does. And even though Jet essentially has been dismantled, you know, you could argue, Walmart would argue to shareholders <laughs> that the acquisition helped them in some way. And that even though this was I think this it crazy did. dream, um, it, it, it quote unquote worked out in the end for everyone. Yeah. But what's interesting with a media company is that the acquisitions are almost always terrible. Um, I, I, my present Springer, company, because I bought them all. My, my present company excluded. Um, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant uh, move. But you know, you look at something like Altice buying Cheddar. Um, See, so you just said two I words. I'm like, what are these words? Altice is a giant cable uh, company, and Cheddar of is John's. Cheddar is like kind of a millennial CNBC, yes. which still exists, but and it was you know, founded it, by a person who came from. BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed, John Steinberg, uh, one of the uh, pre- the the president at BuzzFeed, yes. very very charismatic. Um, boy, that that's a loaded that, that word. We can never use charismatic <laughs> yeah, again. Say. John Steinberg is a great salesman, and you know, <laughs> look, that. He built, oh boy, John Steinberg is a talented man, um, Good. and very energetic, and he's a, a a force to be reckoned with if you've ever had a conversation with him. Um, but he. Uh, you know, he sold his company. He's now an executive at Altice. And I think they thought kind of bringing him on was a way that they could make their brand something that Katie Benner uh, was aware of. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting with media because a lot of these acquisitions, just, they just don't go very well. But if you're an investor, you get an ROI. And I got to think at a certain point that was probably the thought process. with Aussie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to go public? Is it going to be the next Disney? No. But will someone want to buy it at some point? Worth a shot. I actually met Carlos Watson and Ben Smith in the same week, approximately. Uh, wow. It was while I was still at Fortune, and I was looking for a new job because I felt like Time Inc. was really struggling. This would have been, I think, in 2013. Yeah. Or... Who says you're not a media reporter? <laughs> I am a genius, and I thought Time Inc. was struggling in 2013. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if it was 2013 or 2014, but it was when BuzzFeed was building out its new, its business news desk. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that Peter Loria, I'll have to check that name. Very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he new, was a really nice guy, uh, covered media. 
Yeah, yeah, covered media at BuzzFeed and did a really nice job. I don't think he's a reporter anymore. But, but he's, uh, I've, I've he heard, was great. I've heard great things. Yeah. Um, and I knew him from, because we both covered Wall Street. He wanted me to come in for an interview. And then somebody had introduced me to Carlos Watson to see if I'd want to go work at a company I'd never heard of called Ozzy. So <laughs> <laughs> you heard about this Ozzy thing. When I met with Carlos, it was a very strange interview because he we spoke about me being a reporter, which would be the appropriate job for me. And then he shifted and said, you know, I actually see in you the makings of an editor, perhaps a high-level editor, perhaps even managing editor, perhaps even <laughs> managing editor of, of, of this here CEO. news site. <laughs> Get me out of here. And I thought that, I mean, even, even though I'm even though I'm a dimwit, I, I knew that was a bad sign that if you're just yeah. if you're just throwing human beings into roles who are unqualified, it's not totally great. So I, I, I decided that I probably wouldn't go to Aussie. And then Peter set me up with an interview with Ben, and that interview lasted, I think I clocked it at four minutes, much shorter than the Aussie interview. Hmm. And Ben was pretty, pretty straightforward. He said, you know, you're coming from the magazine world, and magazine reporters are very, very slow, ponderous, and they are usually pretty, like, not great beat reporters. So... I also didn't get the job at BuzzFeed, so I was I was I was I was basically knocked out of the world of startup, um, you know, venture backed media. Unfortunately, I had I had my shot, and I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to get in. I wasn't able to get yeah. in. But yeah, it was no, very. Well, <laughs> it's just I'll just say they were really extreme conversations, and I think I came out in the I think I came out in the middle. I think I came out in the middle. But I think it also speaks to kind of like how, if, if based on those conversations, I would have predicted that both companies had ended up approximately in the places they are now. One struggling to, you know, establish legitimacy and or, you know, <clears throat> struggling with accusations of fraud. And then the other with very high standards, doing much better. One of the right. few companies that's probably going to get out um, and have you know, and hit the public markets. Yeah, no, definitely the best of the crop. And, uh, you know, we could maybe revisit this topic like a year from now or something, because I think the like... The topic of all the places that wouldn't hire me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think we many. should check in that regularly. <laughs> oh, I, I can add to that too. Um, but we, um, you know, like the, the full report card is yet to be fully submitted, I think, on like that whole class of companies. We obviously have at the bottom the Aussies, uh, I think Aussies like did not complete, uh, but then you have you know your mics and your fusion, which which kind of failed out. I remember uh, Mashable. Then, Mashable, sure, they they are still around to a degree. They got acquired, but mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. for for pennies on the dollar. And then you know we have BuzzFeed, which is going to make a good go of it, like we mentioned. Uh, Vox, which I hear is a legitimate, you know has has a real business there. And then um, and then Vice, which who who the hell knows as we talked about with Ben, but um, it certainly didn't turn out how it was cracked up to be. I think there was an expectation that they were creating the next Disney's mm-hmm. and, and, and the next New York Times and, and I don't know, and pick your company. And it just didn't turn out that way. And so we've gotten the full like banquet panoply of like outcomes from the frauds to yeah. the pretty good, but no spectaculars. And also I think that the forces that have applied, you know, I think that the pressures on online media and on a lot of these startups, these are pressures that are being felt by um, 
you know, by more traditional media companies, if not more so. Like, yes, you, you can say some of these things have fallen by the wayside, but look at what's going on in the magazine industry. Like, Condé Nast right. is still standing, um, but obviously struggling um, financially, if and not not in other ways. Time Inc., where I worked, a company that I loved, does not really exist anymore. <laughs> no, keeps getting chopped up and resold. It's, it's it's like a, you know, each publication is going to become a standalone asset that gets sold and traded again and again for the branding. Um, and then you know, if, if, like Business Week is part of Bloomberg, so you've all so you saw traditional media also um, be be torn apart by um, you know forces around digital advertising, digital media, and and what and sort of the, like the de-emphasis on on the content for a really long period of time so you know we're, we're all going to come out of this together in, in a new place it's not just digital media we'll see and and now you're working for the new york times very traditional media i'm working for a company owned by the largest media company in germany and it really just all comes down to newcomer he's our, <laughs> our he's our sole digital explorer it's, it's just eric and substack just bravely charting a new path yeah uh, with that said, Eric Newcomer is returning next week from his vacation. Uh, I'm sure we'll have updates there. So thanks for joining us again, and uh, we'll all be back here next week. Google, goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.